Good morning. My name is Pat Unruh, if you don't know me already. And I've been asked to read scripture this morning, but everyone here who does know me knows if you give Pat a microphone, she might do more. Um, so I'm going to take the opportunity to introduce my boss this morning. Uh, I work as a volunteer at the Justice Coalition, and Krista is the director, has been for a year. And um, she's part of a generation that sometimes makes us uncomfortable because the Holy Spirit directs them to share things with us or not uncomfortable spaces for us, hear things that are reality in our community, in our world, that aren't necessarily things we want to hear, but we need to hear. So I, I think it's appropriate I'm reading from Micah this morning, because sometimes I think these young people in her generation are our prophets. So reading from Micah chapter 6, verses 1 to 16. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear you, mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people remember that Balak, king of Moab, plotted, and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, and that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Listen, the Lord is calling to the city, and to fear your name is wisdom. Heed the rod and the one who has appointed it. Am I still to forget your ill-gotten treasures, you wicked house, and the short ephah, which is accursed? Shall I acquit someone with dishonest scales, with a bag of false weights? Your rich people are violent, your inhabitants are liars, and their tongues speak deceitfully. Therefore I have begun to destroy you, to ruin you because of your sins. But you will eat, but not be satisfied. Your stomach will, will still be empty. You will store up, but save nothing, because what you save, I will give to the sword. You will plant, but not harvest. You will press olive but will not use the oil. You will crush grapes, but not drink the wine. You have observed the statutes of Omri and all the practices of Ahab's house. You have followed their traditions. Therefore, I will give you over to ruin and your people to derision. You will bear the scorn of the nations. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. I am so honored to be here with you, particularly in this space. Uh, thank you, Pat, for that lovely introduction. Uh, I am the executive director of a faith-based nonprofit here in Fresno called the Central Valley Justice Coalition, where we work to prevent and fight human trafficking here at home and beyond. 
Um, and so in that space, I am on occasion invited to come to churches in our valley and speak, particularly around justice, uh, around exploitation and freedom. And today, it is a real privilege to get to speak to you because you are my people. Aaron, my husband, um, and I have been here for a long time. We've been members of North Fresno Church for a long time. Aaron's parents came here when he was just a few months old, and I started coming to North Fresno as a junior high student in the youth group. So you have raised us, and you are now raising our four kids. And in between, we got to raise, help raise some of yours as well. You have helped us plan graduation parties and bridal showers and funerals. You have taught us what it means to love our neighbors sacrificially. And in my 30s, unexpectedly, you taught me that women can preach and pastor. Thank you for being our family and for allowing me to come and speak to you today. This morning, I'm not giving a standard Freedom Sunday message. That's often what I'm invited to do when I go to churches. Uh, today, I feel like this passage from Micah, though it is clearly about justice, and it is, in fact, a verse that many of us are familiar with and is a guiding verse for the Justice Coalition, this morning, I believe the Holy Spirit has a message that is unique for North Fresno, and it is my hope and my prayer that you can hear it even through the broken vessel that delivers it. So, would you pray with me? God, this morning, I am so grateful to be part of a body I pray that this morning you would soften our hearts to hear what you have to say to each of us individually, but also to us collectively. Would you speak clearly, and would anything that is not of you fall away? In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I have this habit of crying when I pray out loud, so just a thing. <laughs> um, when I was in high school, my family was in a car accident. Thankfully, it was minor, no major injuries, but there were some aches and pains that motivated us to go to physical therapy. The therapist helped me with those aches and pains. We have lots of physical therapists in our congregation, so thank you for the work you do. Uh, but in addition to that, she also helped me to see the areas where my body was not functioning at its fullest, things that I hadn't even really recognized yet. I would come in complaining that my hip was bothering me, and she would, through gentle, small movements, help my body find a different way of moving. She would also ask questions that would lead us to discover that it was the way that I was sitting when I drove the car, or the way that I carried my backpack on one shoulder, or the way I twisted when I would load the dishwasher that was causing these pains. Small movements that I did every day without ever noticing. And sometimes she would feel like she wasn't really listening to me because I would come in and say it was my hip that was hurting and she would pay attention to my knee on the opposite side. <laughs> Aren't you listening? <laughs> but of course, what she could see that I couldn't is the way that the whole body worked together. She could recognize that the reason my hip hurt was because of the way that I was overcompensating for something that I was feeling over here, but I wasn't even paying attention to. Over time, I learned that Mary could see things, 
And I remember her telling me that she would even watch people walk down the street and she wished that she could treat them because she could see that the way they were moving was a result of the pain they were feeling. Like a good physical therapist, the prophet Micah notices the pain of his people. He sees the whole body and he is imploring his people to pay attention to the small movements they have been making that have led them here to listen to the pain that they have ignored. Micah wants us to notice the aches before they become pains, to make adjustments now before surgery is required. The truth is none of us like pain. Appreciate Pat's words, right? It's uncomfortable. I'm a buzzkill at a party. (laughs) Everyone's trading pleasantries about what do you do. Nobody wants to hear about what I do. It's not very fun. (laughs) Um, But I think that sometimes our culture minimizes pain because we prioritize production. We don't want to go to the doctor because it might mean missing work. And that might mean missing wages, but it also might mean giving up on that deadline, that project that we've been working on, the expectation that we have. Pain slows us down. It keeps us from what we were intended to do. On top of that, acknowledging pain may highlight a weakness, and in a culture that does not prize vulnerability, we may lack safe places to name our hurt. So when we're faced with discomfort, we have three choices. We can ignore our pain, we can numb our pain, or we can attend to our pain. We know the problems with ignoring the pain. We know that it's not a long-term solution, and yet we've all done it. Just a few weeks ago, we at the Justice Coalition had the opportunity to help a survivor of trafficking who had suffered physical violence on the streets. She had been beaten and robbed She was bleeding, and the only place she could think of to go was to the home of one of our volunteers who had been connecting with her over the last several years at our street outreach. This volunteer is gracious and kind and has given out her number and has connected with these women right where they are. So she showed up at her home, and I got a phone call, and we were able to put her in a hotel for a couple of nights so that she could sleep, rest, and her activated amygdala could calm down enough to make good decisions about what to do next. But when I first went to go see her in the hotel, her eye was swollen. It looked terrible. Bandaged it, we gave her ibuprofen, gave her uh, an ice pack. I have connections to a good optometrist that I was able to consult with. Uh, (laughs) But she assured us that it didn't really hurt that much. She was fine. A couple days later, when she was placed in a long-term housing placement, that's when the pain showed up. What happened in those couple days? Why did it take so long for the pain to appear? Adrenaline. Her body was doing what it had been designed to do. Our bodies prioritize safety. And so adrenaline kicked in and made sure that she could get to a place of safety. We know this is true, right? We know that the soldier's wounds can be repaired once they're off the battlefield. Priority number one is safety. Sometimes 
This applies also to emotional safety. We don't feel the pain of an emotional injury because we're not yet safe to feel it. Childhood abuse survivors may not recognize their need for healing until they're out of the home where the abuse has occurred and they're independently stable. Sometimes it's only when we are away from a situation that we're able to recognize the impact it had on us. But when we're feeling safe, the wound will appear and demand our attention. Ignoring our pain may save us for a time, and though it's not a long-term solution, it may be necessary for a season, or even in some spaces. Ignoring other people's pain, however, is a different story, and that is what Micah 6 is addressing. In Micah 6, the Lord is accusing his people of ignoring the cries of the oppressed. The message version reads like this. Oh, that is small. Is that so small up there? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Attention, God calls out to the city. If you know what's good for you, you'll listen. So listen, all of you. This is serious business. Do you expect me to overlook wealth you've piled up by cheating and fraud? Do you think I'll tolerate shady deals and shifty scheming? I'm tired of the violent rich bullying their way with bluffs and lies. I'm fed up. Beginning now, you're finished. You'll pay for your sins down to the last cent. No matter how much you get, it will never be enough. Hollow stomachs, empty hearts. No matter how hard you work, you'll have nothing to show for it. Bankrupt lives, wasted souls. Oof. That's pretty brutal. Those people sound bad. <laughs> it's a good thing he's not talking to us, right? <laughs> Friends. This is us. We celebrate holidays to excess at the expense of children who are trafficked in other parts of the world. We consume without thought of how it impacts the world around us and the people as well. Let me put up that next slide for me. Thanks. This is part of our story. We ignore the cries of the people who are suffering. We create marketing departments that separate us from the reality of what our dollars are doing around the world. But God is not fooled. And this is us. On Holy Ground is a book written by women who have been called into ministry in the Mennonite Brethren denomination. And it is the stories of the barriers that they often had to overcome in order to fulfill the ministry to which they were called. We at North Fresno have been part of a history that has ignored certain voices because we have not been trained to hear them. If we attempt to ignore the pain we cause, God will not shield us from the pain of the wounds we create. Like my physical therapist taught me, often our injuries are not caused in one big memorable moment, but by a pattern of movements that we may not have even noticed. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its, parts, all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. This means that the patterns you and I have engaged in without thinking, just like my loading of the dishwasher and carrying my backpack, we're not thinking about those, but they are causing harm in other parts of our bodies, either on the other side of the world 
or at the other end of the pew. So often it's not that we don't care, but that we haven't learned to hear. Sometimes it's our very best qualities that we are loyal and extend mercy to people we know and love. So when someone tells us those very people have caused harm, we struggle to hear it, much less believe. We choose in partnership with the Holy Spirit people to provide leadership to our community, and then we trust them to do the work that God has called them to do. This is healthy and good until our trust causes us to mute the cries of people who are expressing pain or keeps us from asking hard questions for fear of rocking the boat. We Mennonite brethren are a culture of refugees. We are pacifists who survived by avoiding conflict. We have generations of practice. Sometimes we don't even believe ourselves. We think we're overreacting. We convince ourselves that we're, we have misread the situation. We remind ourselves then that we don't have the same kind of education or experience or authority that another person might have. And we convince ourselves we can't be trusted. And we repeat verses like, the heart is deceitful to confirm it. And sometimes we find reasons to ignore each other. This can be especially true when we know each other well. We know one another's stuff. And sometimes we use it to explain away the pain. Trafficking survivors and survivors of abuse are often dismissed by people who say that they see everything through their trauma. Children who are abused on average have to tell nine people before someone believes them. We have such a hard time listening. But sometimes the pain refuses to be ignored and yet we may not be ready or perhaps are not equipped to address it and so we numb it. We numb our physical pain with ibuprofen and ice packs but when it comes to emotional pain, we have lots more options. <laughs> we may choose shopping or drinking, Pinterest or podcasts. We numb our painful emotions by sparking other emotions instead. When our feelings get hurt, instead of allowing ourselves to sit in that, we get defensive and angry. We may feel like sadness is weakness, but anger is strength. So we cover up one feeling by leaning towards another. And this is how the men we talk to in our cyber patrol outreach find their way to us. Once a month, we have a team of volunteers, two teams of volunteers, who respond to calls and texts from men who believe they are calling to purchase sex. In the past year, our teams have talked with 361 men who intended to pay money to use another person for their own benefit. But instead, they ended up in a conversation with someone who said, friend, what are you really looking for? I personally expected when we started this outreach that more people would hang up the phone. I am regularly shocked by the length of these conversations after they find out that the person on the other end is not who they expected. But what we've learned over and over again is that these men are numbing an emotion like loneliness, depression, or hopelessness. It's not sex that brought them to us. It's the lack of community. They either have no one else to turn to 
or they don't know how to turn to the people around them. And though their pain is getting louder, it is just too hard to ask for help. And so they desperately try to find something else to feel. They don't recognize that because we are all connected in hurting others, they hurt themselves. But it's a listening ear that keeps them on the line. Now, our actions may be more socially acceptable, but we numb the pain of ourselves and our body of Christ as well. Someone shares their pain with us, and we respond with, God's got it all under control. He'll never give you more than you can handle. We practice whataboutism. A person or a group of people tells us about the ways that they feel overlooked or have been wounded or not empowered, and we say, well, yeah, but it's not as bad as it is in that other part of the country or in that other political party or at that other church. We ask people to share their stories with us, but when they say something that we don't like, that makes us uncomfortable, we edit it out before sharing it publicly. They invite us into our pain and we numb it instead of letting it point us toward healing. Dr. Hillary McBride says, I have this fantasy that people will go into their doctors with symptoms and the doctors would ask, what are your symptoms saying? What information is your sore knee giving us about what it's been like to be you? Or that chronic back pain. If it had words, what would it be saying about your life? When we're not listening to the more subtle signs that things aren't working, then our body's like, oh, you weren't listening? Okay, guess what? I'm going to turn it up, and now it's going to be impossible for you to ignore this. But ignoring the pain is a pretty human response. It's why scripture is full of prophets. It's why Micah has a job. Though they know what is right, the Israelites have been oppressing the vulnerable instead of protecting them, exploiting rather than supporting vulnerabilities. In chapter 6, Micah seems to have finally made them see that God has over and over provided for and protected them. That's what all of those long words that Pat read. <laughs> that, that is God reminding his people of all of the times he has cared for them in specific ways. And they have, returned, they have turned from him by not extending the favor to others. So the people respond with, what shall I come before the Lord with and bow before the exalted God? They're saying, what can we give you? Do you want an offering? We'll bring all of the best things. Rivers of olive oil, olive oil will even bring you our firstborn. Just don't do this thing that Micah says you might do. They are a defendant in a courtroom, apologizing to the judge, offering restitution to the judge. And the judge says, you're apologizing to the wrong person. God says, you already know what to do. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. Stop ignoring, stop numbing, feel the pain. Listen to the story it's telling and let it change you. The Israelites cannot make things right with God unless they make things right with people. And this requires humility. So in this list, I'd like to suggest that we take it in reverse order. I told Pastor Dustin I really wanted to talk about humility today because of my great expertise on the matter. 
There's nothing more humbling than standing in front of a room of people that knew you when you were 15. <laughs> As Paul said, the things I want to do, I don't do. <laughs> but I really do want to. And I commit to keep working on it. To walk humbly requires that we recognize our own role. Humility means I remember my own story, my own brokenness, and in so doing, I remember the body of Christ. I treat the pain of my brother like my pain. I sit in it instead of running from it. I give up my plans, my next project, my vision of what was coming next, and instead I treat this moment as meaningful. Humility believes that we are wrong about something. We just don't know what yet. Each of us have blind spots, and people pointing them out to us is a special kind of mercy. Sometimes we need a prophet like Micah, a physical therapist who can see the whole body in a way that we can't, who can help us see the small actions that have created bigger problems. Humility notices the little movements that we make when we feel uncomfortable. We notice our physical body change, our shoulders raise, our heart race, our face flush, our eyebrows furrow. We notice what we do when we're challenged and we, instead of ignoring it, we learn to treat it as a signal and say, thank you for showing me. If we want to change the big things, we have to learn to see the small things. We need to notice how our thoughts shift towards a person when they comment on our social media post. We need to notice how we respond when we feel challenged. We have to feel in order to heal. Where is the pain of the body of Christ nudging you today? Have you lamented? Have you stopped numbing and felt the hurt? When we learn to see the little things about ourselves, we also become more merciful towards others. See, attends to the pain. During our last cyber patrol, one of our men was talking to a man who we'll call Larry. Larry was responding to an ad for someone he thought was Sophia, thinking maybe this would help him feel less alone. He had been divorced after being married for a very long time. He said he felt like he was too old to be dating, but he didn't want to be alone. He wanted a meaningful relationship, he said. This is why he was calling this advertisement. And our volunteer, Hunter, said, Actually, I'm not Sophia. I am a guy who cares about girls like Sophia and also about men like you, Larry. And I can see from our software that this is the fourth time you've called this month, so I don't really believe that you're looking for a relationship. Hunter told Larry a hard truth about himself. Telling the truth is a form of mercy. We don't allow a part of our body to pretend it's not hurting because we know that that pain will cause problems elsewhere. But receiving the truth is another form of mercy. 
all of us tend to resist insights that are difficult, especially ones that show us that somebody has seen through our carefully crafted disguise. So it would have made a lot of sense to me if Larry hung up at that point, but he didn't. Instead, Larry thanked Hunter. After listening to the reality of human trafficking and the truth about what happens to the girls and women who he calls, Larry said to Hunter, I love you for telling me this. Thank you. Please don't lose my number. I don't got people that talk to me like this. Hunter helped Larry name his own pain. He received mercy, which is the first step in transformation. Our hope is that this leads to a change of heart that keeps Larry from numbing his wounds at the expense of others. If we all can learn to listen to the truth about ourselves and let it break us, then God can transform us and partner with us to transform the world around us. In mercy, we seek to make the whole body function rightly. This is justice. God does not want our rivers of olive oil. He wants us to stop distracting from the pain. Justice is hard. It's messy. Justice costs us something, and it rarely has simple solutions. Throughout the book of Micah, God lays out what he expects when he speaks of justice. Employees should be paid fair wages. Inheritance should be protected, not exploited. Power should be used on behalf of others, not to gain more power for yourself. But like the Israelites who offered their firstborn, God says, do justice, and we say, isn't there something else we could do? <laughs> what if I post about it on social media? What if I read that book I've been needing to read? Amazingly and annoyingly, God cares about our hearts. <laughs> and is not fooled by our attempts to hide. He truly wants to transform us, but justice starts with lament. Psalm 51:17 says, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. Big changes start with little ones. This requires humility. It's a funny little cycle. We receive mercy, which allows us to see ourselves for who we truly, truly are. And seeing ourselves reminds us that we're not always as shiny as we want other people to believe. This is humility. And our humility then helps us recognize that other people are also trying to look shiny and are really hurting. And it encourage us, encourages us to extend mercy. Seeing ourselves and others more clearly allows us to move towards them with kindness. And when we get up close with people, their concerns become our concerns, burdens, and we find ourselves demanding justice because it's no longer their problem, it's our problem. It's not their pain, it's our pain. And then we realize that it's also not my stuff, it's our stuff. A dollar bill, a bank account, a house, a judicial system, or a church, humility and mercy lead us to recognize that the only way forward is collective. It's in changing our behavior to match what we say we believe, that it's all God's. This is freedom, the ability to walk through life with open hands looking for someone to share it with instead of grasping fists 
fueled by fear of what we might lose. There is a lot of pain in our world, and we are more exposed to it than ever before. The trafficking, war, addiction, we are not intended to hold it all, but we are not also free to ignore it all. Are we listening to the pain? Sometimes when the world feels big, we need to make our world small. There has been pain here at North Fresno Church. There have been transitions and changes among us. There have been hurts and misunderstandings and probably some mistakes. And this is not the sort of thing we usually talk about in a sermon. There is some fear that just by saying it, I might encourage gossip. So let me say this. Listening to the pain is not the same as picking at the scab. If what I'm saying doesn't apply to you, feel free to listen with compassion and let it go. But we should not ignore and numb. What does it mean for us to be a community who listens, who laments? We are a people of hope who follow an unstoppable God. We know the end of the story. But is it possible that we use hope to numb pain? Do we rush so quickly to a vision of what is to come that we refuse to sit in grief over what has been lost? What if we chose to be broken, chose to feel the pain of the wounded among us, what if we believed that we were one body and that your wounds were mine? What if we asked brave questions about the pain and listened to the hard truth about ourselves? We have to feel in order to heal. We know the end of the story. We know God's faithfulness. We know that Israel was not destroyed. Hope was not lost. We know that Micah promises the hope that comes from Bethlehem, and we know now who that is. So it's easy for us to forget that Micah didn't know all that in chapter 1. He had to walk through each part of the story, and it couldn't be rushed. So before he moves into the community to share his visions and implore change, Micah grieves. Chapter 1, verse 8. Because of all this, I will mourn and lament I will walk around naked and barefoot in sorrow and shame. I will howl like a jackal and wail like an ostrich, for my people's wound is far too deep to heal. There is room for both collective and individual responses to pain. Where do we as a community need to allow ourselves to feel? Where do you as an individual need to listen to the pain of your larger body? Are there people you have ignored or have not been trained to hear? If we want to be the kind of person who can hear hard truths, it's going to take some training. We have to start with the small things. So I want to give us some ideas about how we might move forward. Starting with walk humbly. One of the first things that we can do is invite the truth. Some of us have heard a lot about speaking the truth in love. And we, sometimes me, really like the idea of telling it like it is. But what if the harder truth 
or the harder thing is to learn to receive the truth. Cornell West says, you must let suffering speak if you want to hear the truth. To listen to suffering requires strength. This is a question I get asked all the time in my work. How do you do that? How do you keep going and hearing these stories day in and day out? And we talk about things like self-care and rest and shared burdens, which are all really important. But maybe we don't talk enough about training, how to hold these hard things. It starts with small, repetitive motions, just like building strength in a muscle. And how do we do that? We recognize first that we are wrong. We don't know where or how, and it might be about the thing that we are most convinced about, but there's something that we're wrong about. And when we believe this, we stop looking at the world as though it's trying to break us, and we start being curious about where it's helping us find the flaw in our logic. So this week, my invitation for you is to pay attention to your body in conflict. It doesn't need to be a big conflict. It might be when your child asks you the same question five times in a row. Or maybe it's when you're trying to help a customer at work who's being incredibly rude to you. What happens in your physical body? Notice where you feel it, and let that be a signal to you to pray this prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Will you try it with me? Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I want you to know that this will take time. If you've not previously been open to receiving the truth, if you have been reactionary and defensive, or if you have practiced what we call spiritual bypassing, using those nice Christian words to convince people that your, their pain is not significant, then people will not suddenly trust you. And it is not up to them to change first. Next. To love mercy is to listen for understanding. We equip ourselves to attend to pain when we listen for understanding and not for argument or for agreement. So maybe this week, what you need to do is reach out to someone that you have had a disagreement with, or someone who holds a different position, or someone that you just haven't seen in church in a while. Invite them to have a cup of coffee and tell them you want to hear what things are like from their view and mean it. It starts with the language that we use. So some things that you might try practicing this week. It sounds to me like, and repeat what you've heard. Thank you for helping me see that. I'm curious what makes you say that. Or maybe even, I see this issue differently. Can you help me see it from your viewpoint? Doing justice also starts with small acts. Mother Teresa said, I alone cannot change the world, but I can cast a stone across the waters to cause many ripples. So choose one small act of justice this week, one small movement to change. We were given a perfect example this week. Something that costs us, that requires us to listen to the pain of others. Go shopping. Use your money to bless someone else. 
You might also consider buying only fair trade chocolate for a while, or shopping only at thrift stores this month, or volunteering at an organization led by someone who's not like you, or committing to regular tithe to the church to be reminded that God has given you something to use on behalf of others. God is faithful, and the book of Micah ends with this promise. Where is another God like you who pardons the sins of the survivors among his people? You cannot stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing mercy. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. You will show us your faithfulness and unfailing love as you promised with an oath to our ancestors, Abraham and Jacob, long ago. In the midst of strong warnings and condemnation, condemnation, Micah also promises salvation. We can hold on to hope, and we can learn to listen well to pain. We can do two things at once. Oh God, may we turn towards you, you who has always turned towards us.